Hello and welcome to Keeping It Real, where we're going to dive into the mysterious world of plastic surgery. My name's Alex and each episode I'm sitting down with the respected surgeons Dr Richard Bloom and Dr Kim Taylor from Replastic Surgery and we're going to ask all the hard questions that you want the answers to. Moist and not coming in saying I want to look like Posh Spice or Pamela Anderson. And so it can be quite life-changing for them and um, we see improvements in their self-esteem, their confidence. If someone's had good work done, then no, I don't, I don't believe it is obvious. If you're having a breast augmentation, you know, you don't want to be going to the plastic surgeon who does road trauma. The skincare industry is awash with information. Some of it is great and some of it is not so great. So we're going to chat to dermal clinician Brita, who works at Replastic Surgery, and she's going to talk to us all about skincare on a cellular level, a little bit deeper than we normally go in terms of skin, and also about how to heal your scars after your surgery, which is a really important one for our listeners. Welcome, Brita. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, as we kind of told our listeners before that you are a dermal therapist or a dermal clinician is another another word that people like to use for you. But what actually is dermal therapy? Okay, so um, I suppose the best way of looking at it is um, a lot of people have different pathways of getting into it. But from my perspective, I started off doing beauty therapy. I did that for quite a few years and then I studied dermal science. So it's the science of the skin. It's the skin anatomy. Um, you do a lot of physics, a lot of um, work with how to use lasers and how everything works basically, the function of the skin. It's pretty broad with the things that you learn, but I suppose like any type of study that's science-based. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's like science-based skincare, not um, yeah, just a lot much. of nice smelly products. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So you skip past all of those sort of like nice fluffy uh, skincare products that smell really nice. And then you're moving more into the dermal science. So I suppose it's more science-based, evidence-based ways of treating the skin. Hmm. And so the people that come to you, do you find that usually they have a problem or they have preventative, um, sorry, they're looking for preventative care? Like why do people usually come in and see you? So I think it really varies and definitely in accordance of like where I'll be working or what I'm doing. So when I'm at RE, predominantly people are coming in because they've seen Kim and Richard, they've had their cosmetic surgery and they're concerned about their scar treatments or they're wanting to have the best possible outcome with scars. Um, we also have our MediSkin. So I suppose it's like a skin spa. So we offer lots of skin treatments. So a lot of the time it will be people that have more of like a specific uh, skin concern, but also too, people come because they want to feel nice. They want to do a little, little bit of self-care, give back to themselves. And I suppose the big one, <laughs> the age prevention, that seems yeah. to be the, um, <laughs> the one that everyone's chasing. So yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into that. Obviously the skincare industry, there's, there's a lot of information out there about what you should and shouldn't be putting on your face or doing. Um, Let's start with your recommendations of the basics of just just skincare. 
Yeah, cool. Well, um, I think a lot has changed now with social media and I mean, all of these like younger girls have Instagram and Facebook. And when I was growing up, we didn't really have all of that information at our fingertips. So you sort of just had to rely on your mom to take you to the local like beautician to have a look at your skin. And then you'd buy your products from maybe like the My counter. But I think now um, there's so much information and there's so much stuff that's really accessible to everyone with like Google and the internet and all these Instagram accounts. So I think it is just like an industry that's super flooded with a lot of information. Um, So as far as like what I recommend for the skin, I think it definitely depends on the person's skin type um, and what their concerns are, how their skin presents. So I try and you know, recommend things that have more of a scientific evidence-based solution. I do also like a lot of products, you know, that are more like a well-being product that makes you feel good, feels nice, smells nice, but that's not really where the results lie. Yeah. Is that, um, sorry to butt in here, but you kind of hear that there's always this rumor, you know, about if it smells nice, um, then it's then it's good for you. Um, I'm guessing that's really not true. No, I think there's so many different like marketing tactics and there are like some really expensive, expensive skincare products. And when you look at the, the ingredients, like there's nothing in there that you're really benefiting from on a cellular level. So there's definitely a place for scientific skincare. And then there's also definitely a place for skincare that makes you feel good. So more of like a ritual skincare that you're using maybe because it makes you feel nice rather than working on a cellular level with your skin. Mm. Well, let's delve into into skincare on a cellular level because I'm assuming um, some of our listeners might be very in-depth in this and, and others may not, not kind of get it. Um, so tell us a little bit about, I guess, what we should be doing and what's happening in the skin. Active skincare, I suppose, when we say working on a cellular level, we're, we're sort of dividing the skin up into its different sections. So we've got our epidermis, which is what we can touch. Um, and then when we're working deeper underneath the skin, we're using products that have different delivery systems or interactions with cells that are going to actually show you visible results and improvements. So like I said earlier about skin types, that's going to play a huge role as to what active ingredients are going to work for you. So for anyone that's sort of interested in getting into the world of um, cosmetic science or active skincare, I always advise people to go back to the very start, which is getting a skin assessment or assessing your own skin and finding out what's actually going to benefit you. Like if someone has, you know, a super, super dry skin and they're using salicylic acid, which absorbs oil, that's going to be no good for them. So active ingredients are only going to work if you're using the right ones. Um, we at Re have, a, I suppose, a range of skincare that's been designed for um, all skin types. Um, it's really curated. So there's something for everyone and it's done in a way that, um, you know, maybe maybe you use all five or six products or maybe you're using one, but there's generally something that's going to benefit most um, people. Most people. Let's yeah. go back there. You said that um, obviously going in and seeing someone is going to give you a more definitive kind of answer, but if someone wants to assess what type of skin they have, what are some of your recommendations of how they can, they can do that at home? 
Yeah, so I think a really good indication, I think this is more directed towards females, but if you find during the day you're like looking at yourself in the, in the mirror and your makeup is like sliding all over your face, mm-hmm. there's a pretty good indication that maybe you have more of an oily skin. Um, or if like you're finding that your skin's feeling like it's quite tight, that's generally more of a dry skin. Um, if you're finding a lot of comedones, which is blackheads, that tends to be more of a oily skin does get a little bit complex because people can have different different skin types you know on the same face so one area might be you know um, dry the other area might be oily but that's where the active skincare comes into play because there's a lot that we can do to balance the oil flow um, and just get the skin looking really nice and luminous okay great so if someone kind of does that at home they think that they've got their their skin type nailed and then they come in to see you. Where, where, how does it? How does the process start? What do you begin yeah, with? Yeah, so this is probably one of like the most common things that I see with skincare. It's like someone maybe went to see a dermal clinician like seven years ago or they've been using the same product range for like, you know, 15 years. And then as their skin's changed, our skin is constantly changing, just how we are always changing. So seasonally our skin changes. So sometimes people get stuck in this really rigid regime that worked for them like a long time ago. Um, So I think it's really cool for people to delve into it a little bit more and have a look and see like what's on the market, what works for them. Sometimes as well, like getting a second opinion. So you've gone somewhere, you're not entirely happy. So maybe seeing someone else and seeing if they share the same, I I mean, like um, outlook, I think would be, yeah, a good way of putting it. Is it also as you age, um, you know, your skin is not the same as what it was 10 years ago. So you no, kind of need to not get updated. Yeah. yeah, definitely updating and like even seasonally. So, and depending on your location where you live, I've spent a lot of time living in the tropics. So there's no way that I could use the same skincare regime in tropical, like far North Queensland or um, overseas because I'm so sweaty and I'm so hot all the time that I don't need any of these occluding moisturizers or more nourishing serums. But in Melbourne, we sort of get all different seasons in one day. So mm. I think it's good. <laughs> Which it's is great for skincare. For everything. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, I guess let's talk about um, if you've got, on the basic levels, if you've got oily skin, what are some of the things that the treatments that you would recommend? Yeah. So as far as sort of like home care products and stuff go, um, with oily skins, a huge part of it is going to be exfoliating, just making sure that you're not leaving any of that excess sebum, which is the skin sweat sliming around on the top of the face. So generally with people like that, I look towards more of an AHA, BHA cleanser. Whenever I start talking about like AHA, BHA, HA, people are always like, what are you talking about? So I'll just break it down a bit. We have AHAs and BHAs. So an AHA is an alpha hydroxy acid. A BHA is a beta hydroxy acid. So both of them are helping to, I suppose, exfoliate the skin. One works a little bit deeper than the other. A product that has a combination of both, in my opinion, that would be like the Rolls Royce of skincare. That would be what I would be wanting to use. Great. So I love getting people onto something like that. And then another one that I'm sure everyone would have heard of is retinol. goes by a couple of different names. There's lots of different forms of it, but essentially vitamin A. 
So that's a really, really good one. It's good depending on the type of vitamin A, it's good for oily skins. It's also extremely beneficial for aging. It's probably the ingredient that has the most scientific, like peer-reviewed journals. So there's a lot of evidence behind it, um, and that's one that I would encourage everyone to um, have a go at. Great. And what about people with dry skin? What would you recommend okay, to them? Okay, so dry skin. Um, dry skin often is really confused with dehydration. So a lot of people are like, my skin, it's so dry. And then when you look at it, they're so dehydrated. So they're completely two different things. One sort of a true dry skin is a skin that's lacking a lot of um, oil. So you see it a lot in the more mature skin types, like our mums, our grandmas, that sort of stuff. Their sebum production, their their oil production has really, really slowed down. So that's when it's like, I don't know, people can be, people have different opinions on everything. But for me, I look at using things like vitamin C um, or like vitamin B. Vitamin B is, which goes by the name of niacinamide. Um, that one's really good for regulating the oil flow and getting the skin functioning a little bit better. And with those skin types, you can play around a little bit more with hemp seed oil um, and a few other like more nourishing things like rosehip oil or I suppose those products that um, are a little bit less active in a way. So they're the ones that are the oil-based products. Okay. This may seem like a very basic question, but what when you say less active, what do you actually mean? So less active to me, there's lots of different brands that are amazing that are, I think, really underrated because they don't have a huge price point on them. So um, non-active skincare could be something like, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, but um, La Rose Per Se. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I've said it right. <laughs> Otherwise, I definitely haven't done it any justice. Um, that's a really, really good product. So it's, it's uh, less active. It doesn't have active ingredients. It doesn't have the retinol. It doesn't have the vitamin C. It doesn't have AHA, BHAs, lactic acid. But um, it's still a really nourishing product. Yep. Great. Well, let's talk about, um, you know, skincare on a budget. Um, yeah. It doesn't, it's a, I'm guessing it's another big myth that you have to spend the world in order to look after your skin. It's really funny that you say that because I, I have different views on it. So I do believe that, yes, you don't need to spend the world and, but everyone's price point is going to be really different. So if someone said to me or maybe to someone, someone else, you know, this product costs $130 or it costs $120. Um, if it's science-based, if it's got the research, if it's a good product, I would be like, great, that's a really good price point. But for someone else who's maybe not that into skincare, they'd be like, oh, my God, I buy my, you know, L'Oreal or um, what's it called? Olay. I hear that a lot, Olay. You know, that's 30 40 bucks. There is going to be a huge difference in price. So the way that I sort of look at it is for someone who's wanting to get into skincare, you've got a lower budget, um, you want something that's good, you're going to get results. I sort of think it's a really good idea to maybe invest in one or two good products um, that are maybe a little bit more of a higher price point and then substitute the other things with something that's a little bit cheaper. So there's still good products out there like a cleanser. I think Cetaphil can be a really beneficial um, brand. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then you Which might, of course, you, know, you can just get it at your local chemist. Yeah, yeah, it's really yep. accessible for everyone. And then you might, you know, decide, okay, aging is what I want to put my money towards. So then you might purchase more of a high price point vitamin A moisturizer. So I think there's definitely ways to juggle it. Um, I also like to be pretty thrifty with things. So for me, um, I'm pretty happy to, you know, buy something that's secondhand as far as clothing goes. I'm happy to get into the op shops and buy secondhand clothing. Do a little bit of upcycling. Yeah, (laughs) upcycle. Um, And then that gives you like more ways of maybe budgeting the money that you do have to put it towards some of the skincare products that you want. Suppose it just comes back to like what's a priority for you. I think if someone makes something a priority, you'll always find a way of funding it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So basically what you're saying though is you can do it on any budget. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Well, let's talk about like, obviously a lot of people that will be listening to this podcast will will be coming in for scar management. Um, because they definitely will be (laughs) cosmetic surgery. Tell me a little bit about how you approach, um, looking after scars. Yeah. Well, approaching scars, I suppose everyone that comes to see me, I do quite an in-depth consultation with them and if anyone's list, like listening and they've already done the consult they're probably rolling their eyes just like shut up <laughs> stop speaking but um yeah I like to explain to people a lot about you know what to expect how it's going to work I think the thing with cosmetic like plastic surgery it really comes back to Richard and Kim the surgeons you're paying the surgeons for amazing sutures that's what they do that's why they're plastic surgeons so already when you see a good surgeon there's a really, really good chance they're aiming for you to have a really nice scar. And that's generally the case for most people. So, um, well, makes I think my they, job they get into easier. little tiffs all the time about who's, who's better at creating yeah, perfect I little stuff. I think they're both, I've seen some pretty amazing results for both of them. So I think they're, I think they're really on par with each other. Um, But, yeah, so we assess the scars generally before they come in. Like I'll have a read of their note. So I'm familiar with their file, their surgery. I have a look. Um, It's generally not till I see a scar. Then I'll decide what their treatment plan will be. Um, We go through a lot of the scar management of what they can do at home. So that's a huge part of it too. A lot of people think like, oh, I'll just – you know, sit around and just wait for the scar treatments with Britta. Like, I'll wait till I come in. But there's so much you can do from home. So they get given, um, you know, some tapes, some stratoderm, which is a scar treatment gel. So actually using the things that they're given from the word go generally means that they'll have a good result. And then by the time they see me, um, we start with a couple of different modalities to treat the scars depending on the color of the skin, how the scar is presenting. So a lot of the time when I see it, it's when it's at the really red, angry um, phase, which is good. There's a lot that we can do when the scar is still at the peak of its redness. So we generally treat the surrounding um, redness. So by doing that, we sort of are able to contain the scar and stop it from overhealing and producing something that's called hypertrophic scarring, which is, I suppose, what a lot of people um, refer to as a keloid scar. They're completely different, but a lot of people do actually say it's a keloid when it's when it's not. Yeah, and then we have another um, modality, so which is just a laser machine, and we do a little bit of fractional laser resurfacing as well. Great. Well, personally, I've never had 
um, a laser on any scarring before. So tell me a little bit about, does it, does it hurt or is it pretty painless? Um, What's the, I definitely wouldn't say that it's painless. So when you hear the word laser, generally with most lasers, it's going to be, um, heat based. So there's always a little bit of heat to it, but yeah, it look, it is pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> it is pretty uncomfortable. It's good to manage but, um, expectations. It's yeah, good. but I think it's just good to know like people that are coming in or they're, you know, a bit apprehensive about it. We can really adjust the way that it feels. So it's a pretty quick treatment as well. So it's something you can get through pretty fast. And what actually happens when you're using the laser on the scar? Um, I suppose it really depends on what type of scar I'm treating. But what I'm aiming for is to reduce surrounding capillaries that we don't need. So we're getting rid of that extra blood supply to the scar, getting rid of the uh, redness. And then we're essentially the whole process of it is to try and make two bits of skin sit together so they don't look like they've just been sewn together. So we're trying to make it nice and keep it nice and flat and just make sure there's no tethering or adhesions underneath the scar. And so when you see a scar where someone chooses not to have a treatment such as laser treatment and they just kind of go for a natural heal, what is is the difference I'm guessing is fairly obvious. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think um, you can re- I can see a difference a lot of the time with people when they come and see me that haven't used even like the tape or they haven't worn garments. I think people... So people that haven't followed the instructions, you yeah, can, you can yeah. tell. <laughs> we all get a little bit complacent. But yeah, you can, you can generally tell. And I think the best way of looking at a scar is like the quicker the skin heals, the better the scar is going to be. So if you are having, you know, a prolonged itch or you think you're having an infection, the best thing to do is get in touch with Lauren, who's our nurse, and she can guide them through it. But getting onto it fast rather than letting things fester is always um, the, for the optimal result. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, that's, so that's laser. In terms of scar management, what are some other techniques that, that you employ? Yeah, so um, massaging scars is really important. It's not so much about what you're massaging them with. It's more just about the pressure that you're doing and keeping the scars nice and flat. So that's something that doesn't cost anyone anything. You can do it from home um, five minutes a day over the areas. It's also really good for from like a psychological point of view when we do have scars sometimes it can be a part of our body that we don't like to touch so it's really good for self-acceptance and helping get the sensation back in that area mm. and i'm supposing that also you know it helps you look at look at what's happened during the surgery as yeah, well yeah definitely <laughs> and it's a good way of just you know self self-checking the same way as how we encourage people to, you know, do skin checks and check your moles and stuff like that. I think it's just good to be really vigilant with your bodies, how they change. And just that way, if you do start to notice things changing, you're onto it pretty quick. Mm. All right. So we've got laser and massage. Is there anything else for scar management that's, that's a real winner? Yeah. So obviously the taping, which um, I think a lot of people, I'm not sure if people really understand why they tape, but from my I don't, understanding. So let's talk talk me through it. <laughs> so the pretty much the textbook good scar is going to be a scar that's flat and that is um like a minimal scar. So the the two edges are brought together really close 
which is what the surgeons do. So they're suturing in a way that's giving patients optimal wound healing. So putting the tape over the top, like if you wear tape for an hour a day, it's not doing anything. But when you are consistently taping, you're creating a little micro pressure on top of the scar, which keeps the scar really nice and flat. When the scar's flat, it's going to heal a lot better. So that's why this the taping... Um, that's something that patients can do well after they're told to take the tapes off. So if you do have any areas that are raised, just by, you know, taping it that little bit longer, getting into the routine of wearing the tapes, it can really stop that scar from becoming hypertrophic. Well, should we move on to acne treatments? Yeah. So acne, um, what would you like to know? Well, I'm guessing our listeners, probably there's, there's lots of people out there that deal with acne and they've had to deal with it their entire lives. Um, so I guess which treatments, let's start off with which ones you recommend using all the time Yeah, and then we'll move on to the rarer ones that people might want to move on to if they've got a, so additional problems. So I think the thing with acne is it's, it's a really, really complex um, problem for their skin. So there's lots of different ways of treating it, but I think what's really good to look at is the type of acne that you have, try and find the cause of why you're having it. For a lot of people, that can be something that, you know, is hereditary. So their parents had acne, they've just inherited that sort of skin gene. Um, and then for other people, it can be something that's more self-created. So if you're using, you know, really harsh scrubs on your skin or you're over exfoliating or, you know, you're using retinols that are way too strong for your skin, you can create problems with the barrier function that create, I suppose, the acne. So I think it's something that I don't really like to give people like a one overall treatment because it really, really varies. And I think people with acne and when we're treating acne, it's really good to keep an open mind because sometimes there are things that dermal clinicians can get on top of. Other times there's acne that really needs, um, you know, the dermatologist. So I think it really, really ranges. Um, The type of acne that I've seen throughout like my, I suppose, skin therapist, dermal clinician time, it's really ranged. So a lot of it I've been able to get on top of with um, skin peels and mild skin peels and vitamin A, vitamin B, um, products at home. So there's lots of home care that you can use. But when it starts to get, you know, the quite cystic acne that's quite deep under the skin that's reoccurring, that's when I'd really advise people to seek some further advice with their dermatologist. Um, I also always like to look at things at a holistic point of view, which doesn't mean like I'm just going to burn sage and like do a meditation. <laughs> um, for me, holistic really means like looking at you as a whole. So you know, taking into consideration like any medications you might be on, what your diet's like, if you have any food intolerances, what your lifestyle's like, your water intake. So I like to take all of those things into consideration when I sort of put together a treatment plan for someone. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, just on the um, the peels, how often should you actually get them done? Yeah, so it varies for everyone. Like um, I suppose – The skin is shedding around every 28 days and that starts to slow down as we age. So for younger people, um, I suppose we can say like 16 to 18, they're probably the ones that are dealing with the acne or, you know, the adolescent sort of blackheads and commonones. So with them, often I'll see them, you know, every two weeks 
to get on top of that oil production and just to clear out any of the blackheads and that sort of stuff. Um, and all those extractions that maybe some people like watching on YouTube. But <laughs> yeah, so usually it would do like a course of treatments. And as the skin starts to clear, we space the treatments out a little bit further. Um, and also too, like budget plays a really big part of it. So for some people, it's like I'll see them for their birthday or for Christmas or, you know, a special event, which is also really nice. I think that people shouldn't feel shamed if they don't always have treatments because a lot of people can't always afford it. Um, but I always think, you know, doing a monthly treatment or doing a seasonal treatment is really good for the skin. But I always like to just work in with what's realistically going to work with people. If I'm telling someone like, you need to come and see me every single month and they can't, that's cool. Like I can help them learn how to do treatments from home for themselves. I like to just work with people in a way that's realistic and not shaming people because it's not a competition. I think the idea of seasonal treatment is very, A, it makes sense because obviously the, the weather is changing so your skin is changing at the time. But also, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it kind of is just, it's not too regular, but you're still getting it done. Yeah, on a like, regular you basis. know, the seasons are changing, so our skin's changing. And I think it's always nice to give back to yourself. I, I'm really big on self care. So I think we do so much for other people and we spend so much time giving so much of ourselves to other people. I think sometimes doing a treatment, yes, you're benefiting from getting beautiful skin and getting on top of like any of your skin concerns, but you're also just taking time for yourself, focusing on your breathing, relaxing, and it's just nice to give back. Well, perfect. Well, look, I think we've covered everything kind of in the subject, but the one thing that we haven't really gotten to is what are the real big no-nos um, that people, if they're doing it um, in terms of scar management or, or just looking after their skin, what are some things that people regularly do that they should stop doing? Now. Um, so the one that's coming to mind straight away, and I don't know if anyone's seen that meme that goes around, but it's like friends don't let friends use the apricot scrub. So <laughs> there's this scrub, I think it's, you know, got apricot little kernels or something inside it. It's really, really abrasive. So I think one of the things that I see a lot of people do is they use an exfoliator every single day as their cleanser. They really like that super quick, squeaky clean skin. I think if something feels squeaky clean, it's because you've stripped all the oil off your face. So we need to have a certain amount of natural sebum, which is the oil on the face. So I think people just need to ease off the scrubs. Um, as far as like the other big no-nos, I think it just brings back to like, no, your skin type. Um, Another one would also be people that have a very fair skin, super fair hair, like blonde hair, blue eyes, and they rub on like that coconut oil and they're just out there trying to get a tan. I think people just need to know, be more aware of what their, what their generic, um, genetics are and what they're predisposed to. So that way you can sort of manage your UV exposure with your skin type. So if you know that you're going to burn, wear a long sleeve top, cover up, be really cautious in those peak UV um, hours of the day. So I think just like knowing yourself, knowing your skin type, if you're not sure, get advice. If you've had surgery with Richard or Kim and you have any concerns or any questions, or if you've even had a, had a treatment with me and you're not too sure about something that you're seeing, I always just urge people, 
get in touch with us because we would much rather put people's minds at ease than have people like stewing over stuff at home. So we're always here for them. Well, thank you, Britta. That's been really, really interesting from a perspective of scar management as well as just general skincare um, and the fact that you, maybe you don't have to spend as much sometimes to get the right thing. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Keeping It Real. To keep up with our next episodes, go and subscribe on Spotify or iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast. If you have further questions or want to take the next step, visit www.replasticsurgery.com.au or follow Re on social media. Thank you.